0: When Andrew was in grade 9, he kept a journal. And he used it to write about the people in his life. Problem is, he didn't always include their names.
1: I have no idea who I'm writing about in this entry. November 3rd. Oh God, I have to have her. (laughs) I love her. I would risk my life for her. If she was dying and the only thing that would keep her alive was a body part, I would donate whatever they needed just so that she could live, even if it meant losing my own life. If only there was a way to describe my love for her. Well, I'll keep you posted. Again, no idea.
0: That's Andrew confessing his love for a girl whose name he can't remember. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Hi Toronto, it's nice to see you. This is a show about the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Transact Club in Toronto, we have sibling rivalry, short fiction based on the legend of Zelda, and two books full of relationship advice, written by a pair of 16-year-old girls. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us rediscover the younger version of ourselves that we still carry with us. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Our next readers got up on stage together. As a pair because when they were 16 Heather and Bianca co-authored not one but two books all about dating love and relationships
2: Um, okay so we wrote two books one for guys and one for girls and we're gonna read some excerpts from both and these are based on real-life experiences hello young men oh it can be tough being a teenage boy believe us we've both been there (laughs) There's just so much going on. Testicles are dropping, voices are cracking, and you've just woken up to some very wet sheets. It's madness. And on top of all this, there's that other species, girls. How are you supposed to know how to put the moves on, as some may say? Well, have no fear. Heather and Bianca are here. We've had our fair share of guys, and we've seen it all. We know what gets the ladies going and what just gets them going the other way, i.e. away from you. (laughs) Now we're here to share it with you. So this section is called, the couple that steals together, stays together. (laughs) Praying together, say what? Who does that anymore? Wake up, Charlie, people steal these days. What better way to bond than engaging in a super dangerous mission together? Ooh, what a rush. Step one, stake out something to steal. May we suggest street signs? They're not that illegal. They are public property, right? Step two, plan out your operation together. Nothing is sexier than teamwork. Step three, steal some signs. Arrive at your destination and work together. Don't you two feel naughty? And ooh, look, you're so strong and manly with your wrench. She likes. Four, leave with your signs. Reflect on what a great job you guys did. For years to come, you can remember that time you stole the street sign together. And I'm going to be reading from the book
3: part two, A Girl's Guide to Guys. Hello, young ladies. Ever wonder how we do it? How we manage to bring all the boys to the yard? (laughs) After years of seeing what doesn't work and perfecting that which does, We, your trusted gal pals, Heather and Bianca, are finally ready to indulge you with our supreme knowledge. So sit back and listen up. Take notes if you need to, because soon you're going to be having everything you've always wanted but could never get, i.e. all the sex. (laughs) Now, I'm sure by now you've successfully managed to trap the hunk of your choice. And I'm sure you're having a good time getting down and dirty on the couch after school. (laughs) But what about after your parents come home? Or on the weekends? Where on earth can you two bask in your love without getting caught? Or maybe you just want to spice things up a bit. In any case, listen up. Why not do it in someone else's bed? (laughs) Go for it. If that person is a friend at all, they will realize you needed the sex. (laughs) Or maybe they'll never have to know. And lastly, there is always the great outdoors. Anywhere is fine, as long as it's you, him, and a condom. That is key. No one likes the pregnant girl, and he will not marry you. (laughs) Go wild. Do it on a hill, go at it beside the campfire, or even get down to business on the hospital grounds. It doesn't matter, as long as it's you and him getting some fresh air. You know, the stuff your parents are always talking about. (laughs) And we'll end it on what we think is the most important tip. Another tip that you must deal with after getting your hunk, make sure your friends like him. Your friends are good judges of character, and if they hate him, there's got to be something wrong with him that you just can't see because of all the sex. (laughs) Now, maybe he's bald or breaking into people's houses to make bongs, but whatever reason your friends don't like him is a good reason. Always make sure your friends like the guy you're with. Nothing good will ever happen otherwise. It will end badly, and it will be all of his fault, but somewhat yours for not listening to your friends.
0: After the show, Bianca called in to explain the backstory to those books.
4: Heather and I wrote the books together when we were in grade 11 and grade 12, and we had started dating and we were obviously starting to be sexually active and at the time we told each other everything and i remember um that we always found the humor in what was going on like we laughed a lot despite a lot of anxiety and and sadness that that would have come with with some of the things that had happened and when i first reread the books i i really wasn't feeling very Proud of, of some of the things that that I had done at the time but when I got to the, the part where we talked about making sure that your friends like the guy that you're with I had just I had to smile at that part because it, it gave me some relief that underneath all of the teenage hormones at the time that we really did know what was important.
0: A lot of kid writing is, by its very nature, not what you'd call sophisticated. That's part of the charm. When Josh was six or maybe seven, he really liked The Legend of Zelda, the video game. So he wrote a series of short stories all about it. Now, if you're not familiar with The Legend of Zelda, you need to know that the main character is named Link, The main bad guy is named Ganon. And you also need to know that in the late 80s, they turned The Legend of Zelda into a short-lived TV series.
1: And in The Legend of Zelda TV show, uh, Link fired his sword like a gun. And that is an important piece of context for the following stories. (laughs) The Legend of Zelda storybook by Joshua James (laughs) O'Kane. Part one, The Walk. Once upon a time, Link and Princess Zelda went for a walk and they saw Ganon, so Link fired his sword, the end. (laughs) Part two, the castle. Once upon a time, Link and Princess Zelda were in the castle and Ganon came out of the hold, so Link fired his sword, the end. (laughs) Part three, the box. Once upon a time, a box was delivered to the castle door, and Ganon came out of it. And Link saw Ganon, so Link fired his sword, the end. Part four, the friend. Once upon a time, Link saw Ganon and his friends, so Link fired his sword a few times, the end. Part five, this is a big one. It is called The Talk. Once upon a time, Link thought that Princess Zelda was in love with Link. When they were talking, Ganon appeared, so Link fired his sword, the end. (laughs) The I Know, part six. Once upon a time, Link know that Ganon will come any minute, and he did, so Link fire his sword, the end. (laughs) Number seven, Link's walk. Once upon a time, Link went for a walk and he fired his sword, the end. (laughs) Part eight, Link saw Ganon. Once upon a time, Link saw Ganon, so Link fired his sword, the end. (laughs) Part nine, the penultimate chapter. Link and Princess Zelda went to Ganon place. Once upon a time, Link and Princess Zelda went to Ganon's place. When they got there, Link fired his sword two times at Ganon the end. (laughs) And this is it, folks. Part 10. Link went to the underground labyrinths to rescue Princess Zelda. Once upon a time, Link decided to go to Ganon's place in the underground labyrinths to rescue Princess Zelda, period. When he got there, Link fired his sword two times at Ganon the end. Thank you.
0: Who saw that last one coming? Joining us on stage right now, Karen is going to read a letter written to her parents. This was written after she graduated from university and moved to New York City. She was 22 years old, living on the Lower East Side, and she says she had been reading Thomas Wolfe, and it really shows. Please welcome to our stage, Karen.
5: So, to my parents... Hi, folks. Love from Ken and me abounds, reaching out over the boundary of space and distance to unite us all. (laughs) The conversation we had on the phone was really a communication. And after speaking to you, I was in such a state of happiness and good feeling as I have not been in in a long time because of the past lack of engaging in similar dialogues. (laughs) In parentheses, that whole sentence can't compare to my conveying the same thought verbally, (laughs) face-to-face. At any rate, I'm glad I called. (laughs) Then, New York is quite understandably no less than amazing. It holds within its maze of human interplay a vast conglomerate and ever-changing mass of experiences from the soot-filled, polluted air to the miles of endless concrete speckled with an occasional living, growing greenness, (laughs) to the human traffic jams of moving bodies on simmering sidewalks, broasting between walls of buildings, to the beating of Latin drums echoing in the corridors of tenements and murmuring in the parks, to the protest of thousands marching down Fifth Avenue, angered by inhuman welfare cuts, to the individual protest of an addict getting off in the hallways of a Lower East Side apartment building, to the migration of weekend hippies into the Lower East Side, and always more than words can tell. <laughs> the address to write me and send packages to is. I give my name and I'm my post office box, then I conclude. We'll be there the weekend of Memorial Day, provided I get a youth fair, and so we can both go half fair. There is a difference of about $50 each, which to us Poe folks is extra significant. <laughs> See you soon. Love, Karen.
0: And just a quick note at the break, Karen will be selling thesauruses outdoors. Our next reader, Deanna, grew up riding horses. But she didn't just ride horses, she wrote about them in a very special horseback riding diary. And at our Toronto show, she read a few excerpts from that diary written when she was 10 and 13.
6: Dear Diary, Today I was brushing Billy, and when I went around the stable looking for Jenny, he pooped on my helmet. So I rented one. Outside we did jumps. Hill jumps. That's where you jump over a hill. (laughs) At my last jump, I went before Billy, so I was half off him, and I lost a stirrup. And I was grasping for the reins, but he was galloping too fast, so I fell. It's funny, because every time I fall off a horse, I love it more. (laughs)
7: Love,
6: Deanna. Dear Diary. Today I rode Emery, but I had to tack up Daisy, Samson, and Simon. And then when I was tacking up Emery, Joe bit Alex, so she was crying. And then a girl riding Daisy wanted help, and it was a hell of a morning! <laughs> we cantered, trotted, and jumped. Then we ate lunch. Then I went swimming. It was one hell of a day, and I loved it. <laughs> Love, Diana. And this is the one I wrote when I was 13. Dear Diary, today I went riding, and I asked myself, do I belong in the saddle? <laughs> and I answered, I do. <laughs> I had Samson and he was just an asshole. He bucked me, he threw me, but I rode him. I sat on him and told the asshole who was boss. Also, Julie came over for dinner. She gave me a late Christmas gift, a book called The Noble Horse. It's 425 pages long. It must have cost
7: $30.
6: (laughs) It has everything you want to know about horses, from the body of a horse to horse racing and equestrian sports. It's great. Love, Deanna. P.S. It will take me all my life to read this book. Thank you.
0: For a lot of us, a big part of growing up is not knowing exactly where you stand with certain members of the opposite sex. When William was 15, he fell head over heels in love with a girl, but he didn't know how she felt about him, so he turned to his journal. Now, a quick heads up here, William's journal entries do include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. There's your heads up, here's William.
8: It seems weird, but I always keep falling for the girl that is good looking, but is never interested in me. Anyways, I'm falling for Michaela, and I can't stop it. She's nice, funny, cool, athletic, and good looking, but I have no idea on how she feels about me. It's weird how life is. Like, if she becomes my girlfriend now, I mean, we wouldn't be getting married together, or we wouldn't be going out in 10 years, but if by one weird miracle, I feel the same way about her in 10 years, and she feels the same way about me, then perhaps life isn't so strange after all. (laughs) Anyways, I have been playing the not-interested and hard-to-get guy right now, and I'm really sure Michaela likes me. I'm really tired, so good (laughs) night. The weekend is tomorrow, and hopefully it's a good one. I like Michaela a lot, and I I don't know for sure if she likes me. Hopefully this weekend is a good one, and I get to hang out with her and maybe kiss her. I'm trying to wheel, but who knows if she's leading me on. I think I'll give it one more week, maybe two more weekends, before I ask her out. And maybe start moving on. Michaela is a nice girl, and I hope she doesn't fuck me over. (laughs) Three days later. Fuck Michaela. Any girl that leads me on, I will not like. Let this be a lesson. Don't ever fall for someone unless you are sure that they like you. I'm tired of writing about Michaela. I really need to get over her.
9: (laughs) I think the biggest thing that I see when I look back at those journal entries was how much I wanted a girlfriend. I mean, all I wrote in that journal really was about girls. And I think it really shows how insecure I was with the fact that I had had friends who had relationships. And you know, I didn't get to have those experiences that they were having you know, by having a girlfriend. when i When I look back at this and i and I try to relate this to who I am today, I've definitely changed. i I read over that, and I see how mean and focused on looks I was at some points. And you know, I see a lot of like the shallowness in who I was, and I think that might go back to how kind of insecure I was. I think I've learned a lot about relationships since, I mean, first and foremost, it needs to be reciprocated. But uh, at the same time, I think you need to become more secure with who you are and and what you want. I guess one funny thing I always notice is that when I got a girlfriend, all of a sudden the journal entry stopped.
0: William was not the only reader at our Toronto show who had to deal with a love interest who ran hot and cold. In the year 1963, our next reader, Mary Jean, was in high school, and that was the year she was asked on her first official date. Mary Jean recorded all the back and forth involved in her diary, which she had named Alex, or Al for short.
7: February 27th, dear Al. At 10 o'clock, the phone rang, and I said, hello, and someone else said, hello, this is Boris, and and that's all I heard. (laughs) And he asked me to go to a a basketball game on Friday night. He said he would call on Thursday. Thursday. 5.30, no call. Did the dishes. (laughs) 6 o'clock, still no call. Did my homework. Seven, I waited, but the phone didn't ring, so I washed and set my hair. Eight, it didn't ring yet, so I went to Denise's and helped her with her project. Nine o'clock, I came home, no one called. Ten o'clock, disgusted, I went to bed, (laughs) telling myself he stood me up. Dear Al, I'm supposed to go out with Bo, but he hasn't called since Wednesday. The phone rang about six times for Doris. <laughs> well, I, I, I fixed my skirt, I took a bath, and I, I put on my undies and read a book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at 7.30, she left, and I cried. Oh. The phone rang again. It was for me. Uh, it was, it was Bo wanted to know if I wanted to go to the show with him. And Linda and Butch. And determined to have a rotten time, I got ready. <laughs> you know? So at 8.30, he wasn't, he wasn't there yet, so I put, I put my coat on to walk out when someone knocked at the front door. I threw off my coat and answered. He came in and had Mom and Dad in stitches when we left. We went to see Guns of Navarone, only we laughed through the whole picture. I never thought Linda could be so crazy. However, Bo was angry because we wouldn't sit still. We waited for a bus, but Bo called a cab and we went to the high ho, and then he walked me home complaining all the way. And when we reached home, I had to blow my nose before he could kiss me goodnight. <laughs> and he did, but I don't think he was happy.
0: Mary Jean, ladies and gentlemen. When our next reader, Chantelle, was 11, she kept a diary and she wrote entries covering all the important topics of that time school dances arguing with her younger brother, and the beginning of puberty.
10: Okay, so this portion is from when I was 11. Um, October 28th, 1995, in caps I wrote across the top, I had a blast. Yesterday was the first school dance of the year, and my very first dance ever. It was the Halloween dance. I didn't get asked to go to it by a boy, but I don't care. I danced four times to all slow songs. First, I danced with Garrett. I was taller than him. About a year ago, I had the mega hots for him. I think I might be falling for him again. Second, I danced with Danny. Next, I danced with Chad. I hate him, but it wasn't that bad. (laughs) And I danced the last dance with Danny again. To the dance, I wore black jeans and a black turtleneck. I forgot to mention that I'm taller than Danny. (laughs) A story of my life. (laughs) Um, Puberty has hit me, I'm sure of it. I have lots of mood swings in capitals, especially during the week. (laughs) Also, my breasts are getting bigger. (laughs) I'm kind of nervous about getting my period. I'm having sex at at school right now, so I know all about that stuff. (laughs) And say, two years ago, you'd have to pay me $100 to dance with Danny. And on Friday, I asked him. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, November 6, 1995. Mitchell was my little brother. <clears throat> Mitchell thought it was a full moon tonight. I told him it wasn't. It even says on my calendar that tomorrow night it is. He goes, I looked at the moon. It is. He's so stupid. Uh, <laughs> It's like, try looking at a calendar. <laughs> November 7th, 1995, the next day. Mom turned off the lights, so I'm writing by the light of the full moon.
0: So there's this website, fullmoon.info, that lists all kinds of lunar information, and I can confirm that yes, there was a full moon on November 7th, 1995. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Transact Club in Toronto and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullitone, and special thanks to Leanne Bigwood. In the next couple weeks, we are headed to Regina, Saskatoon, Vancouver, Victoria, and Winnipeg. Most of those shows are full, but we have a few more reader spots in Regina and Saskatoon. And if you want to be the first to know about upcoming live events, join our email newsletter. You can sign up at kids.com. That's also the website where you can listen to more episodes and Find photos of all the readers from our Toronto show. One more time, that's grown-ups read things they wrote as kids.com. Or follow the link in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.